Welcome to another episode of the Vineyard Justice Network podcast. Vineyard Justice Network exists to empower vineyard pastors and leaders to pursue and enact the justice of God's kingdom. VJN equips you by connecting the work of heart, head, and hands with key issues of structural injustice and leadership. everyone to the Vineyard Justice Network podcast. My name is Kathy Maskell and I'm one of the steering committee members and I am so pleased to be sitting down today with my friend Ramon Mayo who is the student ministry coordinator at South Suburban Vineyard in Chicago and he also works for Urban Ministries Incorporated, the largest black Christian media company in the U.S. And uh, welcome, Ramon. Uh, we're going to be just talking about the the work of James Cone um, in the cross and the lynching tree. And part of part of our uh, just motivation and inspiration for for having this conversation is looking forward to the second Better Together Conference, which will focus on racial justice and ethnic diversity and reconciliation, um, particularly within our vineyard movement, but, but more broadly, it's a how, how do we wrestle and, and think through these um, hot button social issues from, from a kingdom lens. And you know the, the the hope of Vineyard Justice Network is to be a resource for for pastors and leaders to pursue biblical justice, to pursue God's justice, and and to enact His kingdom in and through our local churches. And so, mm-hmm. so with that, could could you just share with us a little bit about about your justice journey, you know, and just your um, yeah, just just your life in Jesus and how that how that um, led you to picking up James Cone's book? Well, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. Uh, my family is uh, deep into uh, the Church of God in Christ. If you don't know, that's one of the largest uh, Black Pentecostal denominations. So um, just growing up, um, was a part of church, experienced a lot of the things that we see as far as um, the vineyard, um, the vineyard uh, perspective on, you know, signs of the kingdom. We saw healings and uh, miracles like that. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't until maybe when I got into seminary where I first started questioning, like, hey, we got churches on every corner, but what's going on? Yeah. Um, um, churches on every corner in the hood, but where's where's the power to change all this? And I picked up Cone from uh, my black theology class. It was a class, um, and I didn't know anything about whether there was a white theology or black theology or anything. Yeah. But I saw the class, and I was just like, I got to take this, because <laughs> this is like speaking to me. I want to know what it's all about. And so learned about Cone, didn't uh, embrace everything about Cone, but the one thing that I did embrace was, hey, you have your own theology as far as your perspective matters. 
um, your perspective as a black person matters. And that's not to discredit anybody else's perspective, but um, that's just to say that um, everybody comes with their own perspective and their own bias when it comes to um, scripture, when it comes to thoughts about God. So um, that's how I got introduced to Cone. And then this book, I have been wanting to read it for a while, got into it, and it rocked my world. Um, I my my grandfather is from uh, deep in deep in the south. I guess it's Oklahoma the south. I mean it's it's south yes. for me. I'm in Chicago, so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> my my grandfather's from Oklahoma, and I mean he has stories about lynching and um, just when he was a kid and observe observing all this and you know the segregated you know world that we had back then. Um, he he heard about lynching. Um, was scared of being lynched, just being in Oklahoma during that time, um, late 30s, early 40s. Um, just just hearing about that, but you know, when Cone writes about it, and you see, you hear that, you you read the stories, and it's just like, man, like this is such a we we just don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's disappeared from American memory. And so that's, I mean, that's kind of what drove me to read the book and the fact that, you know, it's it's a theological book. It's not just a history book, but how does the cross, how does the, the cross intersect with um, this uh, period in American history and these events that happened? And what was most helpful about how Cone makes the case that without Americans embracing the lynching tree as a as a primary metaphor for the cross you know in our time what what do we miss you know in our in our faith i think i mean i i love how um cone quoted uh lerone bennett um he's a black historian how the the folks who were lynched at the, at the deepest, he said, at the deepest low, they came to know what it was like to be crucified. Mm-hmm. And more, that there were some things in this world that were worth being crucified for. And so I feel like Cone, he puts it out there and lays, he puts lynching in this framework of this is suffering right here. And it's suffering that's similar to what he calls, he calls the cross the first lynching. Um, and I think one of the things that we see just in America and American Christianity is this avoidance of pain and this avoidance of suffering. Yeah. Um, we don't really talk about, we talk about blessings and prosperity and, you know, God's on your side and God loves you, but the suffering aspect is really neglected. And so Cone puts that into focus, I think. How does Cone help us to think about how kingdom-minded people with the cross in its right place actually helps us to do battle as opposed to surrendering? I think one of the things that is lacking, especially when we talk about racial justice and racial reconciliation, it's just the empathy is lacking. And Cone puts that really, really in the forefront in the book. He goes through a whole chapter. I mean, it wasn't totally on um, Reinhold Niebuhr, but I mean, he goes through this whole chapter talking about how Niebuhr was so against race, and um, he had all of these uh, different um, arguments against uh, segregation and against uh, racism, but he always stopped short of actually advocating for racial justice. Like, he never put uh, skin in the game. 
And so Cone says he didn't put skin in the game because he didn't have empathy. Um, he understood black suffering from just, uh, I guess, a logical place. Just, hey, this isn't right. Um, I, I mentally agree, or I mentally, I mentally um, agree that uh, segregation isn't right and racism isn't right, but he didn't necessarily agree emotionally. And so we all, uh, as kingdom people, we say, hey, it's not right to um, oppress someone because of their race or oppress someone, period. But I think it's a different story when you when you feel what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and this is this is like the vineyard value of just that that compassionate ministry. Like you yeah. can't really truly serve people and minister to people unless you have that compassion. That's what Jesus had. Like he saw, you know, the crowd, the sheep without a shepherd. It says he had compassion on them. And so you can't really uh, minister. You can't really serve. You can't really uh, reconcile without that empathy. Yeah. And so I think that's that's one way where when we put the cross, you know, in the forefront, um, we can combat that evil. Um, but I also think that just in America, we look for a quick fix. I mean, even this whole yeah. race conversation is like, hey, we gotta we gotta, you know, just we can just meet and shake hands, sing kumbaya, we are the world and everything will be changed. And it's like, well, this whole situation is over 300 years old like if it's that old and it's been going on that long and some would say even longer outside of america but if it's been going on that long then you can't look for a quick fix um it's gonna get is this to, to quote the saying it's gonna get worse before it gets better and so i feel like just in that situation and just in christianity in general just our you know, following Jesus' uh, mindset, it's like, hey, I want things to happen now. And when you think about the cross, um, you think about the suffering that Jesus endured. Uh, when you think about that, it's like, wait, I can't, I can't have a quick fix and a shortcut to whatever I want all the time. It's just not giving in to this American, you know, quick fix shortcut mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so along those lines, uh, one, one quote that I, I found uh, really powerful uh, from, from the book is Cone says, um, I think in the introduction, you know, I offer my reflections because I believe that the cross placed alongside the lynching tree can help us to see Jesus in America in a new light and thereby empower people who claim to follow him to take a stand against white supremacy and every kind of injustice. And so you just alluded to a 300 year old problem and injustice. I mean, problems kind of minimizing it, um, you know, profound injustice um, within the, the mind and the hearts and the bodies of, of the, the people of, of this land and the, this concept of white supremacy. Um, if we can't just shake hands and <laughs> sing Kumbaya and, and it goes away, uh, what's, what's your, what's your personal understanding and maybe how does, um, how, how does Cone help us to understand this, 
this concept of white supremacy because it doesn't it doesn't seem that he's just talking about um, uh, like a Ku a Ku Klux Klan member, which is you know a white supremacist, but not necessarily uh, the only the only kind of person that that he's talking about in white supremacy. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, when you think about a Ku Klux Klan member, that's like the, the natural outcome of white supremacy. Like, if we have this ideology that everything that is white is normal and everything that is not white is abnormal and less than, then that's what, in its extreme, is going to emerge is that clan member but white supremacy is bigger than that um because it is an ideology like you can't just say hey this this person is white supremacy or this group is white supremacy it's an ideology and so it's everything from you know uh looking at the tv screen and you're a person of color and you don't see yourself on the tv screen or you know, you're looking at a certain profession and you're a person of color and you're like, hey, why is my profession, why, why am I not represented in this profession? Yeah. Um, it's, it's basically um, this ideology that everything white is right and everything not white is wrong. And it comes with this uh, power dynamic that white people, um, wh whoever is white deserves to be in power and they get to make decisions that affect uh, people of color um, without the agency of people of color. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's wrapped up in all of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's clear when you talk about slavery, when you talk about segregation, yeah. but it's also in the ways that, you know, the media communicates like, hey, in order to be the, a, a good human, yeah. you got to be white. And so, I mean, you can see the effects because it's not just, you know, white, uh, a white person um, calling a black person the N-word or yeah. hate rallies or anything like that. Like, you can see the effects even within the black community where a lighter-skinned person is deemed more beautiful than a darker-skinned person because a lighter-skinned person is closer to white. And so that's white supremacy. Like, it's, it's, it affects everybody. It affects all of us. We're all kind of um, surrounded by it and if affected by it. You know, it's really interesting. Um, just being Vietnamese American, I would actually, uh, I have similar experiences that even in Asian culture, lighter skinned, you know, white, white skin is uh, considered more beautiful, um, more, yeah, just more desirable than, um, very tan, dark skin. So that's, uh, and, and you would include that. I mean, it's like white supremacy is not necessarily just regulated to American culture. There's something yeah. larger, more pervasive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so in, in light of this ideology, um, how do you, how have you wrestled with that in in light of um, trying to trying to to seek and to 
to live as, as a citizen of God's kingdom, you know, where we want to say Jesus is supreme and um, there's, there's not a particular ethnicity or, or color that is supreme. And so how, how is, how have you wrestled with that personally? And then um, are there, uh, is there an aspect of the cross and lynching that so helps us to, to think about that from a kingdom perspective? So personally, like, I look at, you know, just as being black, you, you know, especially being black now, like it's, uh, it's totally different from when my grandfather and my grandmother were, you know, were kind of in the civil rights era. And, you know, that, that is different than now, because now it's not so overt that we have to say, oh, this person, you know, they did this because they're racist. Like we can't go there, you know, all the time. Like that's not, you know, most people are well-intentioned. Most people are not going, you know, they don't wake up in the morning, you know, hey, I hate black people. Right. Um, But but I do know that having empathy is a two-way street. Like I I have empathy and understanding um, for someone who wasn't raised around black culture and who may say some things that may offend you. Well, it doesn't mean they're racist. It could just mean they're ignorant of how this affects you. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just one way of showing that kingdom empathy slash compassion. Um, also just, I feel like wrestling with what Cone is saying in the book is you got to put, um, some skin in the game when it comes to tackling any sort of injustice. You can't just say, Hey, um, that's, you know, it's too bad, you know, human trafficking, but I got to work. I got a job. I got my own ministry here, you know, and no, you have to put skin in the game. And that's not to say you can take care of all the evils in the world, but it does mean that in some practical concrete way, you need to step out and do something. Um, For me, like I take that as being a communicator, being in ministry. um, When I have the chance, when I have the opportunity to talk about uh, issues like this, I talk about it, um, whether it's in student ministry, whether it's on my blog, wherever yeah. um just to let people know like this is this is this is a real injustice that's taking place and making people more aware some of the dynamics in our country include almost a third of black youth you know being incarcerated how do we not ignore and look the other way you know when i when i think about god's kingdom and i think about how jesus challenges his disciples, like this person who culture mm-hmm. cursed or is marginalized or is outcast, don't look the other way. We're going to put them in the middle of the conversation and, and actually we're going to heal them too. <laughs> it's real complicated, um, but I'm going to try to simplify it as much as I can because one of the things that we don't think about is, yes, lynching is over. Like that was, I'm two generations removed from lynching. So that's me, my mom, and then my grandparents were living in the South during that time. Um, But that's only two generations. And so you have to think about not only the psychological effects of that living, I mean, in domestic terrorism, 
yeah. your whole life? And then what are you teaching your children? What are you passing on to your children? What are the opportunities that you can give your children? Um, you also have to think about um, the creation. Uh, I like to say, I mean, people think the ghetto existed forever, but no, there was a creation of the ghetto uh, with, with uh, housing policies, um, jobs leaving, like all of these different things created this um, system, this um, way of doing things where people will, I mean, if, if they don't have any intervention, will more than likely go to jail. Mm. And so, you know, we have to have empathy for that. And I have empathy for it because I grew up around it. Mm. You know, I have empathy for it because I was near it. And so <clears throat> I think when you're away from it, you go, oh, look at them. They can't get their life together. They can't straighten themselves out. Um, look at me. I'm doing good. But it's not just, I mean, people could say, well, I'm, I'm white. I, was, I wasn't born with a spoon or a silver spoon in my mouth. But were you born in a culture like that? Like, were you born in a culture where doing good in school was ridiculed? You know, that's, that's a lot to take on as a teenager. Were you born in a culture where, you know, there's uh, not, not enough programs for you to do after school? So what do you get into? You get into trouble. Were you born into a culture where there's no parent, no uh, dad in the home? Like, what do you do? You know, it's, it's when you think about all the different obstacles, then you can have empathy. But when you think everything is just on an even playing field, then you don't, when you don't understand those dynamics, then you don't have empathy. And so being near to people is one thing. Like, I feel like Jesus could have compassion on those crowds because he saw the crowd, you know? And I feel like that's just, if we, if we were actually getting near people instead of holding people at a distance, just looking at what the TV shows us, mm. then we could have empathy and we wouldn't look the other way. Mm. Yeah, and, and that kind of brings us almost full circle back to like what's the rightful place of the cross and what happens and this is Cone's invitation what happens when we don't look the other way but we sit with the cross or we sit with the lynching tree and we meditate on mm. it just that paradox of how, how does trauma lead to hope yeah and you, just, you just made me think about something because I also think that the cross is just like the, the ultimate look at suffering. Yeah. Like you can't escape from this. I'm putting my own son here so you can know like this is suffering. Don't turn away from it. But this is also your redemption. Is there another key thought or um, yeah, just theological principle from the book that you found especially helpful in just being, being a resource for those who are you know, developing a kingdom theology? Um, I just love like Cohen, although I don't embrace everything he has to say. I mean, he had a beautiful way of putting the cross like just in context. He says the cross is a paradoxical religious symbol because it inverts the world values mm. with the news that hope comes by way of defeat, mm. that suffering and death do not have the last word, that the first shall be last, that the, that the last shall be first and the first last. Mm. And that just, I mean, that I think it gives you the mindset to, as you're working towards justice, that it's not going to be easy. 
that it's going to be hard, but there's kingdom hope on the other side of it. You know, your, your church is a pretty, a pretty remarkable one just across the landscape of American churches. It's a, it's a multi-ethnic church, which is still unusual, <laughs> even in yeah. 2018. And yeah. how, how do you understand just even your church as a, as a living sign, you know, as a living kingdom sign of, of this kind of hope as, as we're, you know, just wrestling through, I mean, the reality of the suffering that still exists mm-hmm. and the, the sin that still needs to be confronted, the injustice that still needs to be addressed. And we're kind of at this, sounds like when you even use the language of empathy, it's like we're in this listening stage still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are. We are. I mean, this is like one of the most uncivil times. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say the most uncivil time because I wasn't back in the, you know, the 1800s or whenever. But um, I've, I mean, since I've been alive, I haven't seen such just uh, evil, such meanness. But I would say just as far as our church, like just our very existence is just a tool against white supremacy. Like, because when you're when you're a multi-ethnic church, you have to get close to people who are different than you. Yeah. And so when you're close to them, when you're interacting with them, they're not those people over there. You know, they get they get humanized versus demonized. Mm. And so, you know, you talk to people who you might not talk to just in your everyday, you know, course of life. And so you hear different perspectives, but we all come together under the cross. And so that's like um, totally dethroning white supremacy is basically saying, no, it's not about white supremacy. It's about Jesus's supremacy Mm. Um, because we're all here because we're believers, we're kingdom citizens. um, And and that's what defines us the most. So I think that just our very existence and then just um, uh, Gino has done a really good job with just stopping and pausing whenever there's an incident of racial injustice, um, <clears throat> just, you know, basically having us reflect and think about how are we going to respond in a kingdom way? Like, how would Jesus react to this? You know, how would Jesus talk to somebody else who, who has a differing opinion than us? Yeah. You know, how would he, you know, interact with somebody who's totally against what we're talking about or totally doesn't believe what we're saying? Now Jesus is setting our agenda. You know, so this, like, I feel like doing that, like having that kind of mindset gets us to empathize. Like, why is this person talking like this? Mm. You know, we're, we're, and, and not just asking, you know, internally, but actually saying, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, I want to know where you're coming from. And so that's, that's helped us tremendously. And just with the, the number of different recent events, you know, one that I'm thinking of is the, the, the demonstration that took place in, in Charlottesville. And so could, could you just quickly share like how, how that was processed? I mean, to be honest, I can't remember what was said in the church because <laughs> there's been so many incidents that it all, I mean, it just, it's all kind of conflated together. Mm. Um, I know for me, Charlottesville just kind of brought up the lynching mob. Like, this is what happened, you know, back in the day. And no, nobody was actually strung up or there were no actual, you know, I mean, there was someone who was murdered um, or killed. But for me, it just brought brought out like, hey, 
racism is still alive. Um, this is the uh, natural outcome of this uh, white supremacist ideology. And I mean, to be honest, it scared me. Like yeah. right now, like even, you know, as close as I guess two years ago, me and um, my wife, we, decide, we decided that there's some places that we don't drive, especially mm -hmm. at night, because who knows what's going to happen. People are so emboldened um, yeah. to, to do these hateful things. So just those, those fears, the things, I mean, my grand, the things that my grandfather talked about kind of came, became real for me. Yeah. You know, so, you know, even driving around, you know, in, in our city, it's not like that. But I also know, I, I also see like the police shootings and things like that. And so I'm really, you know, shaken. You know, when I go outside, it's like when I go and I'm driving around, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, make sure you obey every single law. <laughs> like, mm. um, so, so there's there's that that fear that that domestic terrorism, and not saying that you know we have lynch mobs roaming around um, the streets of the south suburbs of Chicago, yeah. but still, um, you 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 think like, man, it's not it didn't happen that that long ago, and it could happen again. So you know, look out. And so, you know, I'm not like in the house, you know, boarded up, you know, <laughs> like that's not, that's not my, my mode of operation or, you know, just the way I think, but still in the back of my mind, when I see a cop car, you know, when I'm driving through uh, Ohio, Southern Ohio or wherever, I'm like, okay, um, let's not do any, you know, things that can make people, you know, jumpy. Mm. So, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I processed it, but still, it's like, hey, I'm a kingdom citizen, and God's got my back, <laughs> um, but still, you you still have those, um, I guess, um, the the echoes of the past have come to the present. Yeah, and, and it does make me wonder, just even in you sharing so honestly about how just the feelings and not just the feelings, but the kind of actions, you know, like the ways that you believe that you and your wife need to act differently because of things that have happened, like this Charlottesville demonstration. What is the opportunity for your brothers and sisters in Christ to empathize with that, you know, rather than dismissing your concern, but it being as important and uh, within your community and then with, within our larger community, that that has to be listened to, that has to be paid attention to. And what does that do to our larger mindset and understanding of how people in our, in our country live and, and still based on the color of their skin, that there's just different levels of pervasive fear. And is that enough for us to, to own that and to respond differently rather than being like, well, that's your problem, Ramon, <laughs> you know, what, what does it look like for a kingdom response where the, that, that's a community problem? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So thank you for, for sharing that. I, I want to just take this opportunity again to just invite folks to register and, and join Ramon and me at the Better Together Conference um, at Evanston Vineyard taking place August 21st through 23rd. Ramon's actually going to be leading a workshop. We'll be pressing in to these themes and, and issues for three days together 
as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I would love to see you there. Um, and any last thoughts that you would want to leave our, our, our VJN community with Ramon? Um, I think just what, I think just as far as just what we've been talking about on the podcast, like this is not a, a white guilt thing. Yeah. Like this is, this is totally a kingdom thing. Like <clears throat> it's not about, um, you know, making white people feel bad. Um, it's, it's about coming together, learning from each other so we yes. can press forward to what God wants. Yes. Um, and that's, that, that's diversity. That's, every tribe language and nation worshiping around the throne so yeah come on out <laughs> yeah well well put well thank you so much ramon and uh ramon's actually going to send over um some other recommended resources as well as we'll post a link to james Cohn's book and that'll be on our on our blog so thanks so much ramon um, no problem thank you For resources related to this episode, as well as to listen to previous podcast episodes, go to www.vineyardjusticenetwork.org. Follow us on Facebook at Vineyard Justice Network and on Twitter and Instagram at Vineyard Justice. But now I can see My ears are open Finding faith to believe I'm Stand.